The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 248 for Thursday, October, uh, uh, excuse me, Thursday, excuse, big fuck up there, uh, Wednesday, October 8th, 2014. Of course, My Take Radio is presented by Rageworks. Our call at number 347-324-3541. Again, that number is 347-324-3541. As always, you can watch, listen, and chat. By heading over to mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. As always, listener and viewer discretion is advised due to strong language. All right, so we got a lot of cool stuff to discuss this week. Uh, Last week, uh, I actually did not do a Thursday show, so those of you that were hoping for a gaming and um, entertainment-focused show. Unfortunately, uh, I had to short you guys last week. You know, um, my my missus was under the weather, and um, you know, I figured she needed some rest, so I figured I'd catch up on some work. So we uh, we took the week off, but it's all good because you guys still got a wrestling and MMA episode on Wednesday. So at least we got some content out for you guys. So a couple of things we got: we are doing two shows this week. Obviously, tonight's Wednesday show and then tomorrow's Thursday show as well. We got some really cool announcements that we're going to be announcing on tomorrow's show that once I get everything clear and settled, you guys are going to get a really, uh, really special treat with regards to what we got going on. If you're in New York City, uh, it's really cool. Uh, One particular bit of news is going to be extremely cool. Well, if you're in New York City, both things are going to be very cool if you're a local uh, to check out, and we'll be sharing those news on tomorrow's episode. Uh, in addition to that, I got some emails this week. I got an email from Darren asking, uh, actually, it was a two-part question. First part, obviously, was um, more so show-related than subject-related, and that is with regards to My Take Radio's redesign, well, MyTakeRadio.com's redesign. Um, he put Dear Rich, I went by the site. I know you guys are planning on switching everything over. Can I still read all the other posts when we when you change the site over? So to answer that, the, the short version is all posts on mytakeradio.com 
will remain on MyTakeRadio.com. And everything else, you know, since its launch has been on RageWorks. No posts on MyTakeRadio.com will be deleted, eliminated, any of the above. All we're going to do is probably archive them and put them in a separate part of the site. Uh, MyTakeRadio.com is going to remain the hub for the show, and that's it. All our audio product is going to go there. Uh, The only thing I am going to probably include going forward are going to be uh, equipment reviews for any equipment that we use on air. Obviously, that stuff is going to be on RageWorks as well, but anything uh, equipment-related with regards to doing the show is going to be on there. So definitely, MyTakeRadio.com will keep equipment reviews, including some mic reviews that we did and some other equipment as well. That will be there also. I am probably going to start blogging a little bit more on the MyTakeRadio.com site because it's going to allow me just to share some stuff uh, broadcast related, etc. Some people, uh, well, correction, a lot of people have been asking about certain setup questions, how we do certain things. So I'm going to use that as a, as a hub, as a repository to do that. But for all your gaming, MMA, uh, video game, wrestling news, everything, all of the above, all our independent content you can definitely head over to RageWorks.net for that stuff. Hopefully, that answers your question. Uh, the other part of the question was about um, the episodes that are going on the app. Uh, well, a couple of things with that. All episodes go on the app with the exception of stuff that we do app exclusive first. Until we switch uh, from a paid app to a free app, I feel that the people that have invested in the My Take Radio app, which is 199 deserve the most value so with that said you'll be able to get all your shows via the my take radio app and all the exclusive content will remain there as well now the only thing is that once we make the app free obviously at that point we're going to try to deliver more app exclusive content versus just releasing stuff to the general public so i did want to get that out there as well uh last bit of news i want to get out is our broadcast schedule Um, for the remainder of October and November. Uh, First up, next week, there will be a Wednesday show, but there will not be a Thursday show, unfortunately, due to an event that we will be covering next Thursday. Uh, At the end of the month, um, 29th and 30th, there will not be any shows that week because we will be working the Photo Plus Expo. So, Be on the lookout for that. We're going to have a lot of great content uh, sharing all the great technology that's going to be available if you're a videographer, photographer, or those of you that want to enhance your internet broadcasts, whether it's from an audio standpoint, video standpoint, or just uh, getting better coverage with better tech. We're going to be doing that for the Photo Plus Expo, so be on the lookout for that. And like I said, that's going to be the 29th and the 30th. There's also going to be a couple of events uh, in November that we're going to be covering. And once we get the schedule completely pinned down, there's going to be some alterations there as well. The only thing that I know is a definite, obviously, is there will be no show on Thanksgiving Day, but there will be a show probably that Wednesday schedule permitting. But for right now, October is shaping up as follows. There will be a show on the 15th. There will be no show on the 16th. 22nd and 23rd of October will remain the same and 29th and 30th there will be no show due to event coverage so 
that's pretty much the schedule we're going to go with uh, for the remainder of October. Um, what's on deck for tonight? Well, we got a UFC doubleheader that went down uh, this past weekend. Slick, uh, Slick is probably going to be chiming in tomorrow for our gaming segment, and I'm sure he's going to want to be in uh, in on the announcement that we're going to be making. But Ben will be uh, joining us shortly. We had a UFC doubleheader we want to get into. We got the week's MMA news. The Kung Lee situation gets um, a little crazy, and we're going to dig a little bit into that. Uh, so like I said, we got a, a UFC doubleheader on deck, and plus we're going to talk about the week's MMA news. The only other thing I did want to discuss uh, before jumping into MMA is a couple of contests. Uh, some of you guys have won some contests, and we've sent out uh, prizes to you guys. Uh, many thanks for getting your addresses in timely. I cannot stress that there's a couple of you guys that are stragglers. You know who you are. Please make sure to get me your shipping addresses. Otherwise, if I don't get your address before the month is out, I'm going to put the stuff up once again for brand new giveaways. So take keep that in mind. Those of you that are stragglers that haven't sent me your addresses, please make sure to send them to me before month end. Otherwise, unfortunately, you will forfeit your prize and we will relist the prizes either on our Facebook fan page, Twitter, or even on air, depending on how we go about taking care of it. So there you have it. All right, so let's get into the week's MMA news. We got a lot to discuss. Like I said, we had a UFC doubleheader um, on the wrestling side of things. We're definitely going to talk about Raw that was from the Barclays Center here in New York City and a couple of things that went down there, which were extremely interesting, plus the week's wrestling news. Let's get this ball rolling. Let's get into some MMA, shall we? My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com, bringing you the best and greatest MMA gear. Whether you're a fighter or a fan, you'll be able to get the best fighter t-shirts, the best training gear from our friends at MMAWarehouse.com. Make sure to check out our banners on MyTakeRadio.com and RageWorks.net if you want to save a couple of bucks on shipping or if you want to save with some promo codes. As always, uh, the banners on the site, clicking those helps us out, allows us to continue to improve our products and services that we try to offer you guys. All right, so I've just been informed that Ben is in the queue. Let me bring him in real quick, and let's get this party started. Big Ben, what's up? What's up, man? All is well, my friend, all is well. We had a a pretty packed Saturday MMA-wise between UFC Fight Night 53 and UFC Fight Night 54. Uh, did you get to check out the UFC Fight Night 53 card, or did you end up catching that uh, on the flip side based on it being yeah, a UFC Fight Pass card? Yeah, I ended up catching them both uh, later on. So, before we get into some of the fights, what did you think of UFC Fight Night 53? Uh, 53 was good. Uh, 53 had a, a big surprise in it with, with the main event um, and the Rick Story Gunnar Nelson fight, uh, or Gunnar, or however you say his name, uh, fight, but... It, it was a decent fight. The main card was pretty good. Um, it had, you know, some fighters that are lesser known, but they were exciting fights. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty good card. Uh, hold on a second. These guys are saying that they can't hear you. Um, are you guys not hearing him on the GFQ feed, or are you not hearing him on the Mixler feed? I'm just curious. Though There's a couple of guys that are saying they can't hear you on that feed. Ah, Mixler. Mm. 
Interesting. Uh, let me see. All right. Hold on a second, Ben. Okay. All right, guys. How about now? Can you guys hear Ben now? Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, can you, can you now hear me? You guys hear Ben now? Let me know if you guys hear him. Hey, everybody. I hear me. I might say that. <laughs> Slick, Slick said he heard you, but I don't know if these guys aren't. Um, just real quick, if anything, um, all right, they hear you now. All right, so. Okay, cool. Overall, overall, the cards were surprisingly good. Um, out of the two, which did you feel was a better card? Um, probably the Gunnar Nelson uh, Rick Story card. Um, not to say that the other card was bad. It just you know the the main card was kind of slower paced, right? Uh, and the Rick Story Gunnar Nelson card, every single one of the main fights had a finish, and they were all like really fast paced and and pretty long the finishes to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I mean the the the. The Fight Night 53 card, um, the Akira Khorasani Max Holloway fight had a really, really surprising outcome, especially because Akira Khorasani is a, a veteran and a very exciting fighter to watch. Um, Max Holloway securing an awesome victory with a ground and pound finish. Um, round one, three minutes, 11 seconds via TKO. Uh, very impressive performance. Yeah. What does this do for Max Holloway on the featherweight rankings? Well, Max Holloway is a fun, um, it's a really fun fighter to watch. I don't know if he's improved his wrestling game enough to actually compete um, with the with the higher class of, of featherweights. But you keep putting him against guys like a Carroll guys that'll give him uh, a fight, like guys who will really fight with him, and he he's going to put on a show. I mean, he's won his last four fights, all are finished. I think I think they're going to probably give him a step up in competition. But he he's put on shows in all his fights, and he's incredibly fun to watch. Yeah, I was I was thoroughly impressed. Um, you know, it, it was weird because, you know, seeing Dan Hardy doing the interviews and stuff, it made me say to myself, you know, it, it, it really is unfortunate that health issues have kept Dan Hardy out of the cage because Dan Hardy's one of those guys that I'm sure he wishes he could be in there because you're seeing these guys just put in this work. And on the bright side, it's good that the promotion gave him um, another opportunity to continue being involved in mixed martial arts. But on the flip side, you could see when he talks to these fighters that he still has that fire that he wants to be in there so bad. Yeah, it, it, it sucks that, you know, he has, um, I think it's Wolf Heart Syndrome or yep. something like that. Yep, Wolf and Heart it, Disease. It, it sucks that, you know, that, that, that kind of robbed him of, of fighting. I mean, yeah, he, was, he wasn't the greatest fighter, but he was really, really fun to watch. And it sucks to see, see him basically constricted to just being um, a commentator. Yeah, I mean, I know he's been trying to organize some sort of a comeback, but... I just, you know, the the odds of that are slim, and as the as the as the days fall off the calendar and the months become years, it, I think it's going to be tougher for him to get back in there, which is unfortunate because he was definitely one of those guys that really brought a lot of excitement to mixed martial arts. Yeah, he he was he was one of those real good action fighters. Like he did, he put on shows like nothing. You can't call it any Dan Hardy fight boring. Absolutely not. There's no way you can call any fight that he was involved in boring. Um. I you know I, I the way I, I felt with this card was that this card even though it was a fight pass card it probably would have benefited um, a lot of the fighters if it would have got uh, rebroadcast at minimum on on one of the networks just because like you were saying the card had a lot of great finishes um, you know the Jan Bl- Blaskowitz fights taken on Alir Latifi was was another another nasty finish. Um, Backstrom taking on Mike Wilson was another nasty finish with a huge overhand right. That guy, he I he pretty much folded up with that overhand right, and that was just a great way to get the card started. So I kind of felt that the fans were a little gypped missing out on that. And of course, uh, Gunnar Nelson and Rick Story had a, a fucking war 
what a what an amazing fight and a, and a great finish. I mean, a lot of people were saying, you know, the split decision was some people were a little not baffled, but they just weren't happy that it wasn't unanimous. But I think that the guys definitely traded evenly in each round, so it could have yeah. gone either way. I mean, for me, um, besides the fact that Dan Hardy seemed to be really, really biased <laughs> um, towards Bruno Nelson, like it was clear who they thought that, or who they wanted to win. Of course, um, which which you know the UFC does a lot. Like they they have someone they want to win and who's gonna and and they're gonna push that narrative. But he got his ass beat uh, clearly, and. I, I was a little confused by the split decision too. I wasn't upset by the split decision. Like I, I saw people right. like, genuinely like, kind of upset by it. <laughs> I was nowhere near upset by it. I just was confused on how how someone did more than maybe the first round. Absolutely, and that's that's the thing that that got me when I saw the fight. I was like, you know, Rick Story definitely he pushed the pace, incredibly aggressive. Um, even though obviously you know he he had a lot of damage, his eye was bleeding, uh, things like that look a little you know they look weird in the eyes of the judges, which to me I always find strange because I'm always curious as to how the judges are able to determine uh, the pace of a fight by such a short you know by such a small monitor because it's us when we watch the fight mm-hmm. you know on our reasonably sized TVs or at bars or whatever that we're kind of able to get a better gist of the action. I've always, I'm always curious, you know, I'd love to ask a judge, how is it that they're able to, to get a, a full picture based on that, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the weird things. Like I, I don't understand, um, how they don't get bigger monitors or a better view of the, the cage. I mean, cause I, I've been to, MMA, I've been to, MMA, I've been to the UFC event, but I've been to his day events and I, and I'll say like seeing it through the cage is actually pretty hard. Right. So I, I don't know. Like, um, I guess it takes a skilled eye. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I'm I'm curious about because when you look at it, it's like you can make a strong case that, you know, Rick Story, based on based on just watching it, Rick Story sustained some damage, and maybe that's why the judges saw it that way because they were going, you know, 48-47 Nelson, which I was kind of, eh, it kind of threw me off when that score came out because I really didn't feel it was that close. I mean, the 49-46 for Story um, was definitely closer versus you know going 48 47 and it just makes me wonder how was the how was that judge seeing the fight at that point for him to give it you know yeah, a 48 47 like, yeah like I, I don't know what because from what i saw <laughs> rich story was getting beat up and down i'm mean, not rich story uh Gunnar nelson was getting beat up and down the cage right for long periods of time so i don't know where he saw okay so he wins these three rounds like i, I don't see I don't see where in that did he see the three rounds that he won. But, I mean, it's good that it didn't end up costing Rick Story the fight. Right. Um, because it would have really sucked if, if he did all that, won the fight clearly, and ended up losing. But, I mean, it, it, it's, it's sub- the whole thing is subjective, to be honest. Like, the fighting is really subjective. I, I would love for this judge to have to explain himself in some way. Yeah, I was curious. Hear that. I agree. But, I would love for this judge to be like, okay, this is what I saw. Because I can accept it more if you can tell me what you saw. Right. I agree 100%. Yeah. I mean, in, you know, switching gears, jumping into the um, the other fight night card, I wanted to talk about the Darren Crookshank fight against a- Anthony and Jaquani because that fight, um, Crookshank definitely was dominant the entire fight. And, you know, mm-hmm. in that fight, the judging was 
pretty clear cut. Like there were ve- there were very rare instances in that card where you were able to really um, say, "Oh, that judge really called it wrong." Because in, in the Darren Crookshank fight, he was he was definitely the aggressor, especially hey, he was showing some flashy moves. I mean, he closed out um, that second round, uh, you, you know, with a spinning wheel kick, and then you know, Injaquani definitely the aggressor but not on the same level mm-hmm. as Crookshank. And I think that part of the reason is I think international judging um, just varies. I think just because of the way that MMA has a presence in, in, in that home country, I think that judging is, is definitely in needs of uh, it in needs of reeducation across the board. Yeah. Um, I, I can see what you're saying with that. Like it's strange. sort of what they look at there and, and with the, I think it's called the European, um, the European, uh, lead they have over there with, for MMA, like it, sometimes it's just weird what they what they look at and stuff. And and for that particular case, like you can see clearly in that fight who won and who didn't. Absolutely, and you should have been able to see the same thing in the big story fight. And I, it's weird to, to to hear like, oh yeah, we we gave him some rounds. Like how? Yeah, like, exactly. Please explain to me how you gave him rounds. But and and, you know. and yep, and that's what I mean. Like I think that that the, that the governing bodies in each area that MMA that MMA events take place needs to have, you know, some sort of unified instruction or maybe just a, a unified manual where, where they can look at the fights and, you know, like, like one of the things that I would probably put in that would be just because the guy's in bottom position doesn't mean he lost the round. Cause we've seen that how many yeah, times exactly. where, dude, where dudes are in bottom position and yeah, you know, they, they're not in a, in, in, in top mount or, you know, North South or, crucifix position raining down damage but these are guys that are striking from the bottom throwing elbows throwing damage and the 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 assumption that just because they're automatically in that position they lost sometimes i feel that 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 doesn't do guys favors and i think that's something that needs to be discussed across the board you know no i I completely agree like just you know we've seen that like i i I don't know i would just like for, for for these for these um ma organizations to really hold these judges to the fire and like when, when something like this happens for them to explain what they saw or what they didn't see would be really, really good. To me. Like, like the really bad decisions, like, um, I mean, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but like the really bad, all of Diego Sanchez's face. <laughs> like I need them to be able to explain to me what was it that you saw that made you think he beat Ross Pearson? Like just explain it to me. And, and I think that that would do some fans, some, some justice too, because a lot of times we're left scratching our heads like, well, I don't understand that. Like, we, we see it from here like this, and all of a sudden we hear these scorecards, and you're like, well, why did he feel that way? Right. It would be really nice for them to be able to explain it to us. Right, and I think that's part of the reason because, you know, Diego Sanchez trying to go out there and be the just bleed guy, and, and you know, he's selling <laughs> he's selling judges on that, and it's like, yeah, just because the guy runs screaming, like, you know, so runs across the, the cage like an Aztec warrior and drops a dude on his head doesn't take a doesn't take away from the fact that he did that once and the guy tagged him, you know, 146 times in two rounds, you know? Yeah, stuff like that. Like, I, I need I need some, I need one of these judges to be able to, like, intelligently explain to me, okay, well, when he was doing that, I saw this and this and this, because like, then I could be like, okay, well, at least I know what you were looking at and why I should never right. trust what you're saying. That that that's a hundred percent right. You know, you know what's funny, the um the Caraway Raphael Asunsao fight, I kinda just felt that, that Raphael Asunsao was gonna walk through Brian Caraway. So I was expecting that to be a one sided ass whooping. And don't get me wrong, he did take the fight via unanimous decision, 
but he didn't finish the guy. So, you know, it kind of it kind of makes me I don't I don't want to say um not not less likely to shit on Brian Caraway, but uh, the dude definitely showed some durability in that fight cuz he took some some serious serious damage, you know, especially a lot of leg kicks. Um he took that knee to the head in the first round. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing with Brian Caraway. It's not that he's not uh talented. Um he can fight Right, um, and he he can take a lot of damage. Uh, his problem is he's not that good at any particular thing. Right, outside of maybe grappling, and he was not gonna. He he's a good grappler. Rafael sometimes a very 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 good grappler. Right, and he's just wasn't gonna beat him there. And so, um, and then you know, striking was Rafael sometimes a better striker. Uh, Brian Caraway has a lot of athletic limitations. He's He's a lot like the Kenny Florian in the fact that he's good technically, right? But athletically, he just doesn't have that extra little bit athletically. Um, and I and you know I thought it was kind of weird. When, I mean, not weird, but um, I thought it was kind of delusions of grandeur when he was talking about fighting like the bigger name fighters at one thirty five who would all beat the hell out of him. <laughs> well, you know he he got Rafael a man. is not beating any of the champions, and he would beat the hell. Up. He would got his ass beat so. Well, you know what it is. I applaud those guys because, and 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 we've talked about this before. It's it's the it's these guys trying to market themselves. They're trying to make their own fights. They're trying to call out guys, get under a guy's skin that are you know higher ranked. So these guys will be like, "Yo, let me smash this dude." And then before you know it, that guy that says that gets the opportunity and then gets put. You know, he he, he loses the fight or he gets choked out or knocked out. So. I think there's a lot of baiting going on, and I think that's just because a lot of fighters are seeing that, you know, the matchmakers are going to make fights, but the fighters have to be the ones to make the fights interesting because the matchmakers are just going to be like, eh, it's all right. Yeah, like, and, and a lot, I mean, it's nice when someone actually is able to do what they say. Like, like Conor McGregor has said, okay, I'm going to knock all these guys out, and then he's gone about it and actually done it. It's right. nice when these dudes can actually do it. Um, but I, I don't know. You, you shouldn't write off more than you can chew. He, he got put up against uh, a feasible dude that is going, if not be the next challenger to the 135 title, he's going to be the next one after that. Right. And, um, and the only guy to, and I put this in air quotes, beat Brian, um, TJ Dillashaw, even though I thought he lost to TJ Dillashaw, but that's what he's here there. Um, so, you know, this is going this is a big step up and he, he, I won't say he shit the bed, but he, he didn't look, he looked okay. Yeah, it's and hard. That's basically what he is at 135, an okay fighter. Well, it's hard to also make a case for yourself when you're not going out there smashing dudes immediately. And that's that's a thing too. I mean, it, it, when you're going out there and you're saying, "Yo, I want to fight the champion," and you just came off a five round decision where you were in danger, maybe two out of those three rounds, you're not. It's not. It's not. Not to say that it's not credible enough, but you're not saying you had a war. It was just that the guy was tougher than you anticipated. And I think the part of the reason that that happens also is because a lot of these guys, sometimes I think that they get blinded by the ranking number. That they're like, ah, this guy's ranked number number 14, and I'm ranked number 8. It's all good. And that's not the case. I mean, a, a great example of this is uh, the, the women's ultimate fighter. Carla Esparza was the last champion, ranked number 1. Uh, she fought, you know, uh, Angie Overkill. Angela Hill. Angela Hill, excuse me. Yeah. And, um, you know, that fight was a complete glaring opposite of what you would think that the last seeded fighter would put on against the number one seeded fighter. And this is what I'm saying. I think that too many people focus on the rankings way too much. 
Yeah, I mean, well, that fight, I uh, I mean, to speak about that fight, I kind of saw what was going to happen in that fight just because Angela Hills only had one fight and Carly Squad was the champion at one time. Right. But, yeah, you, you got to fight these fights to see what's going to happen. Like, yep. you, you know, you got to see got to see them happen before you can decide, you know, um, that stuff. And, I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Brian Carraway wasn't going to beat Rafael Sanzai. He's not going to be – No. He's not going to be 135 champion at any point. <laughs> no, I think I think, I think Carraway has a – I don't want to say he has gatekeeper status, but I think he's close to gatekeeper status. Like, he's a guy that may be troublesome, but he's not a guy that's going to be knocking on, you know, knocking on the door of the top five. Yeah, he – He's, he's going to stay in the top ten area, but yep. he's he's never going to he's never going to 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 top that top that top five, get into title contention unless something happens. He just he just doesn't have the physical talent to do it. Well, switching gears and with regards to physical talents, Tarek Safadine and Roy McDonald was a very very good fight. But I'll be honest, I mm-hmm. I almost want to say that the layoff that Tarek Safadine had, you know, due to injuries, etc., didn't do him any favors. This was the last. Strike Force welterweight champion, you know, and and to 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 go yeah. out there and have the performance he had. Not no disrespect to Rory McDonald. Rory McDonald's a good fighter, but just it, you know, it almost felt like he got caught with stuff that he should have. That if he was more active, he probably would have been better prepared for. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I think it's twofold. Like I, I think the fact that he hasn't fought since January didn't help him. Right. But it also didn't help him that he was fighting Roy McDonald. I mean, despite Roy McDonald being kind of weird and <laughs> just a kind of a weird person, he's an excellent fighter. Yep. And he looked really good in that fight. And Terry Stephanie and Terry Stephanie's big problem is he has really no power. <laughs> he he doesn't hit very hard. Like he 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 can leg kick you. He can he can he can uh, outstrike you, but it's not going to be anything that really hurts you. Right. And Roy McDonald does have power. He was able to walk him down and hurt him and get, basically knock him out towards the end of the fight because he was the one with that dynamic power. And that I think I felt that was a real difference in this fight. I think also with regards to that fight that, to, you know, Rory McDonald started kind of, I don't want to say he's a late starter, but he started figuring out the patterns. He really started mixing up the strikes a lot better because he knew that Safadine's leg kicks were the bread and butter, you know? Yeah. You know what he wants to do, so you take it away or you time it correctly. And and that's what, as the fight went on, he was able to do. Yeah, he neutralized it well. And, of course, based on that performance, he secures himself a title opportunity. Now, let's be, let's be realistic. At, mm-hmm. you know, you spend all this time watching that welterweight division, which is completely open, I hate to say, you know, completely open. And do you see this? Do you see Roy McDonald touching a title with, with the, with the murderers row of guys that they got up there in the top three, top four? I think he can win the title. Um, I think he's just as talented as those guys. I mean, his, his fight with, with, um, man, uh, his fight with, uh, what did I see? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Oh man, what what can I do? Robbie Lawler. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name. His fight with Robbie Lawler was close up until he got tired towards the end. Right. Um he 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 has the ability to um to win the title, I think. He I think he can out uh outstrike uh Robbie Lawler and I think he could probably beat um Johnny, Johnny Hendricks. Hendricks if 
it's given the right circumstance. I think the the cool thing about the welterweight division right now is everybody can beat everybody. Yep. I don't think there's anybody that can clearly dominate anyone else. And so I think he can win the title. Now, how long he keeps it is a whole different thing. But I think he can win it. Well, I got I got a a, a crazy situation for you. The the GSP yeah. return not return. You know whatever it is. If Rob if 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 um Rory McDonald secures himself the title. GSP is not going to come back and take the belt away from a guy out of his own gym, do you think? Um, because that see, poses a I weird question. He might. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I think my thing with that is I don't know how much Roy McDonald does. I, I think Roy McDonald would fight GSP. Like I, I don't think he would really have a huge issue with fighting GSP if if it happened. Okay. Um, now I don't know. I don't know if it's a, if it's mutual. Uh, um, but I, I think if Roy McDonald was, uh, if, if, if GSP was to come back, Roy McDonald would be like, yeah, I'll fight him. Cause okay. it kind of seemed like they were kind of heading that way when GSP was there anyway. So I don't know. It, it'd be interesting to see what, what that conversation would be like. Yeah. Because when I, when I looked at that and, you know, um, for us, hobby's like, yeah, George, but George might come back, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, but George isn't going to cut the throat of a guy out of his own camp from getting the belt. Because think about it. If George St. Pierre said, yo, I'm coming back, you know Dana White's going to be like, well, George is fighting, you know, the winner of Lawler and, and, and Big Rig. And it's just like, yeah, well, what about Rory McDonald? You know what I mean? Like, like you know the UFC would drop him immediately for a, G- uh, for a GSP payday. Oh, of course, because GSP is still one of the biggest earners for them. Yep. Well, it, it's funny you say that because a lot of people um were talking uh, really, really – rough about conor mcgregor on you know on uh reddit and on twitter and when the lorenzo fratito was on uh the mma uh what the hell is that called uh ufc tonight he was just like yo conor mcgregor Mm -hmm. gets what he gets because the dude moves the needle which tripped me out because he was like yo when, when an entire country is buying an entire card or an entire country is buying the bulk of your of your ticket sales outside of vegas that's a you know that that's that's a needle mover and and it was weird because i realized that the only way that you're going to be the guy that moves the needle is to go out there and have those performances but to talk the talk you know you got to talk the shit too in order to make it as effective as it could be and to hear that see hearing it from dana white dana white assumes that everybody's the second coming but to hear it from lorenzo fertita like yeah this is it you know, this guy, he's a needle mover because of X, Y, and Z. You know, that that really just spoke volumes about what these guys are going to have to do in order to, quote-unquote, become the movers of the needle. Yeah, especially the smaller guys. That, that's the thing with the smaller fighters, not so much the bigger fighters, because, like, for instance, like, John Jones. John Jones, when he first showed up, really wasn't talking that much. It nope. was the fact that John Jones was out here suplexing people yep. and hitting people with spinning back elbows and stuff. That that works for for bigger on uh, the bigger guys because you're big and instantaneously like oh okay this dude is really big and he's kind of scary and I want to watch him fight. For the smaller guys, you have to do something to stand out, or you have to be made to stand out, like right. I wish they would do for Demetrius Johnson. But I mean, for, that's what what you for the smaller guys you need to do. Well, you know what the funny thing is, looking at that, it, you know, looking at the quote unquote needle movers, I'll honestly say that. As much as I like Robbie Lawler, Johnny Hendricks, and even Rory McDonald, those guys are going to be champion, but it pains me to say they're not going to be the quote-unquote needle movers. 
because they just don't have you know, that well, dynamic. Yeah, they, they won't, but that's where the UFC comes in and makes them exactly um, the needle movers. And for, like we talked about last week, the UFC for right now seems to not know how to do that, and it's, nope. it's hurting them. Well, I wanna I wanna get into the week's news, and I'm and I'm glad you brought that up because. There, there's a couple of things um, during the week's news that I wanted to get into. First and foremost, obviously, fight bonuses, well-deserved uh, bonus to Rory McDonald. He took in 50K. And um, going back to what mm-hmm. Lorenzo Fertitta said, I actually have some numbers. Um, Conor McGregor, for his fight at UFC 178, he earned $150,000, which a lot of people complained about. But he said, and I quote, at the end of the day, it's business. This guy can literally drive numbers from an entire country. When Connor fights, the entire country of Ireland shuts down. We get like a 60 share of the TV market there. Over 11% of the tickets sold in Vegas were from Ireland. He moves the needle on pay-per-view. He headlined his first event in Ireland. We did a $1.4 million gate, which is insane. Yeah, that's how you get paid. <laughs> yeah, but you know what it is? When, when, you know, when guys like Vanderlei Silva, um, you know, talk about fighter pay and, and about that stuff, I understand where they're coming from, but I also understand the fact that when you go out there and you're a force, you're going to get paid as such. Like, Conor McGregor went out there, and it's like, the fact that you got a 60 share in a TV market, you know, in a country that um, MMA isn't the main sport, is insane. Yeah, um... Also, I, I don't agree anything with what, with what, I guess we'll get into Vanderlei, but Vanderlei, well, we should start talking. But. Well, well, you know what, we could, we could, we can address Vanderlei now just from the stance that he, he went out there, he, he said a lot of stuff about fighter pay and fighter pay has always been a very, uh, touchy subject. And, you know, it was funny cause like mayhem came out recently, just, you know, being crazy as usual, but he made an interesting uh, comment about fighter pay for, for lower end guys. And it's kind of been something that's been um, an underlying theme. But I also I also feel that these guys know what they're getting paid on the way in. You know, like this isn't a shocker. You get paid. You want to get paid? You win some fights. You become marketable. Once you become marketable and your fight contract is up, you renegotiate and you get more money. I mean, that's just a rule of business. I mean, you look at the NFL, you look at MLB, yeah, those guys are making, you know, a $1 million a year deal. But you're also looking at uh, sports organizations that have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten sponsors, multiple games, uh, multiple networks. Like, you're not seeing the NFL on one network. You're seeing the NFL on three networks, four networks. Same thing with MLB. Same thing with hockey. So while I, while I respect Vanderlei stepping up for the, for the entry-level fighters, I also feel that the entry-level fighters are going to come in maybe not doing a televised card, and then they have three or four knockout performances, and next thing you know, boom, they're main eventing a televised card. So I just think it's a law of progression. Do I feel that the pay might should be better considering all the stuff that fighters got to pay? Sure, but let's also not kid ourselves and want to pay every guy a million dollars on the way in. It's just not, it's not feasible. Yeah, that that's that that was my big thing with, with what he's saying. Um, you can't the, the UFC doesn't have the same amount of money that nope. the NFL, NBA, baseball, even hockey to an extent. They don't have that type of money. Right. So the the highest paid fighter in the UFC probably makes two or three million a fight. And John right. Jones probably makes two or three million a fight. Right. 
I think I'm, GSP got five. GSP got five at the well, time, to, and that was because Rogan let that out of the bag. Yeah. See, uh, you know, Anderson Silva probably towards the end, probably got around five two. Right. You know, that's that's about the tap out. That's about what they can afford to pay you at most. The rest is up to you to get. Right. Sponsors everything. So at the end of a fight, you know, John Jones, GSP, they probably take home about ten million dollars a fight. Right. That's about probably where you're going to get the most. Like, uh, these guys who come out and talk about, oh, well, fighters should get more than $8,000 a fight. Why? Like, it, you, this this is a business where you have to make yourself money. Right. To an extent. You have to be marketable yourself. So you can't just, like, the UFC can't invest $159 in, in your, what's this kind of good, your third fight? They're yep. not going to invest $150,000 in you in your third fight if you're not doing what he's doing. Right. Which is, like, he's making your money. So because of that, they're paying him money. That's how it goes. That's right. I think I think the other thing, too, and this is something that I, I feel just it needs to be addressed with regards to the elephant in the room. If you want to talk about fighter pay and you want to become – I mean, everybody talks about a fighter's union – and, you know, there, there might be a place for that. But I think that if anything, entry-level fighters, I think the UFC, if anything, should just realize how much is the average training camp for each fighter. You know, and you're, and you're taking it into account, all right, here's this guy's training camp. How many, how many coaches does he pay? Whatever, four coaches. All right, four coaches. Say the guy spends, whatever, $3,000 on four coaches, $4,000 on four coaches. If the guy makes eight grand and he's got to pay taxes – and all that shit, and he's got to pay his coaches, yeah, there I see a problem. And I think that's just a matter that the UFC needs to understand the metrics of these fighters because they're like, yeah, but these guys, they make money on sponsorships. Do you think that a guy being sponsored by Jimmy John's Jack Links is making enough dough, you know, to go out there and pay his entire camp? No. Especially if the guy's fighting on Fight Pass. <laughs> what what, yeah. what do you think that guy's getting paid? I he mean, might get paid two grand, three grand to put a name yeah. on the shorts. But other than that, where's the, that money still got to go someplace else? Yeah, and one of, one of those things is like um, <clears throat> a lot. A lot of camps will kind of supplement that. They won't really take that from you, so so to speak. But right. it's just I don't know. Like people are really or fighters when they start talking about fighter pay need to take into account. Um, what goes into that? Like, you're just not going to get paid that. That's just not how it right. works. And that's where I'm and saying education is is key. Like the guys that are complaining should be the guys that say, "Hey, uh, Fertitas, hey Dana White, the average training camp costs us, you know, eight thousand dollars. And in addition to that, you know, all the travel expenses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that costs money. Bringing in guys to train us costs money. You know, maybe the starting cap for an entry level fighter." Might be fifteen k, you know, versus eight. You get what I'm saying? Like, like maybe that's a matter, yeah. uh, you know. And and to a degree, I kind of feel that a fighter union, in that respect, may be uh, may be able to assist because at the end of the day, yeah, the UFC understands they got training camps and shit, but they they're not sitting there researching the metrics. They're not sitting there saying, all right, how many coaches did this guy need to prepare for this fight? They're just like, oh, you know, he he came in, he was ready to bang, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, until, until somebody makes the UFC pay attention to it, yep, um, they're not going to, and they, they really don't have any reason to, like until they're forced to. And um, I mean, 
I understand the complaint. Like I understand complaining, but you need to come up with a more a better way of complaining than just complaining. You yep. know, like some sort of solution. Besides a maybe bitch the UFC fit. will listen to it then. I agree. Besides a bitch fit, they gotta be exactly that. The the educational process, which is exactly what, what I was just saying. It's like Instead of being the instead of whining about it, be like, listen, this is how it's got to be X, Y, and Z because of you know this, and then that educates them. But if you're gonna go and every time you get mad at the organization, then all of a sudden fighter pay becomes an issue because Vanderlei, in the same breath that he talked about fighter pay, said that he made good money. He was like, yeah, this isn't about what I make. This is about the guys yeah. under me. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, that's great, but instead of saying that, why don't you sit down with the organization and be like, listen, just because you know you guys aren't putting me in the Hall of Fame or you guys aren't this, you know, has anybody sat down and walked you through what it costs to be ready to fight? Yeah. That's all. Yeah, like, I think that would be a really good way to do things. Like, explain what, what you're saying. Like, if a fighter like John Jones, and a lot of times, the reason there's no fighter union is these fighters aren't required to care about other fighters. And nope. I don't particularly blame them for not caring about the other fighters. Cause it's nope. not, I mean, it's not your job to, um, like you trying to get paid yourself. Like it's, it's not the independent contractor. Like it's not, it's not John Jones job to care what, what, uh, some, who, who's like the random dude that probably got paid the least this weekend. Um, um what? Patrick Hollahan. Pedro Moon Yeah, or Jer- Jared Sanders made. Like it's not his job to care. Right. It's, it's and 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 I, I understand why he doesn't. And people, and I think these if those fighters were the ones to come out and be like, Look, you know, can we can we like somehow get these other guys paid better, then maybe the UFC will listen. But I mean they don't they are not required to care. And that's the thing too. You think you think a guy like Chuck Liddell, who made his millions, is gonna sit down and 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 advocate for a guy to make those same millions, busting his ass, quote unquote, less? Absolutely not. He's gonna be like, yo, fuck that. I had to fight. I had to fight like twenty five dudes to clear my first million. Oh, you want to make your first million fighting three? Fuck out of here. And I think that in that respect, the 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 right thing to do is just education. Not so much demand, just education. I think that would that would probably quote you know to use the 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 popular term move the needle. Just educate management. Like, listen, this is what goes into it. You know, you guys, yeah, our our guys pay us money, but if we're not sponsored by you know a Nike or a Rev Gear or an Affliction, we're getting you know fifteen hundred dollars to put Condom Depot on our ass. Yeah, like <laughs> that's that's, that's excuse me. That that's it. Like you, I don't know you. Uh, some somebody, somebody, somebody who's in the position to do that needs to do it, but they're not going to. They don't have to. Nope. And I don't blame. And like you said, you you don't blame them. But that those are the people that have to do it. And the UFC is not going to listen otherwise. Nope. Well, while we're while we're on the subject of the UFC not listening, I want to talk about Kung Lee's drug test because Kung Lee's drug test has become a hot button debate because Kung Lee's like, listen. I was legit, and I was clean on the way in. And then everybody's like, "Ah, you know, you're talking shit, whatever. You got popped, and now you wanna, you want, you don't want to be held accountable for it." But then when you look at it, you're, you know, you're start, you're start talking about, you know, a non VADA accredited, uh, WADA accredited, um, doping facility, uh, you know, a, a, a blood test facility, 
or the fact that the the sample was destroyed immediately after, et cetera, et cetera. And, then, and all of a sudden now, things start becoming a little more murky. And the crazy thing that got me was they were like, oh, well, you know, UFC, what do you guys think? You know, things are a little funky because of X, Y, and Z. They're like, well, fuck it. He was guilty. And it's like, but what if the governing body fucked up the test? Still needs to be addressed, man. Like, that's an elephant in the room. Yeah, like, the, the test itself needs to be investigated. I, I, I still have a hard time believing he was clean. Right. Um, because, to be honest, like, what reason would they have to um, screw him over? Like, why, why, why screw him over? Yeah, um, they, they wouldn't screw him over. He, he was... No, I was saying they wouldn't screw him over. They just maybe they just mishandled the the blood work. Who's to say it was even his blood work? I mean, not to be a complete psycho and think that they would fuck up like that. But who's to say it, it might have been his? We don't even know because they destroyed yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. So, okay. I said we don't even know because they destroyed it. Exactly. Like that. That sounds that 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 sounds shady. Like somebody somebody needs to investigate the the whoever did the drug testing. Because that shouldn't be how you do it. Um, yep. And to be honest, it would be somewhat unfortunate if he got away with what I think. I think he was on HGH. Like I, I legit think he was on something because, like, that's not something someone randomly just <laughs> injects into your blood. Right. But if he was or wasn't, it shouldn't matter at this point because someone screwed up the test. And if this test was screwed up, then sadly that means that he's probably going to get away with it because someone screwed up the test. Well, I got I got an interesting scenario, too. Uh, blood, tests, blood tests are scheduled. Well, uh, testing is done randomly before the fight mm-hmm. at varying periods and then done later on post-fight. So if his initial test, which is crazy, all right, if his initial test was clean and then all of a sudden his post-fight test was hot, you know, where did it go wrong? You get what I'm saying? Like, if he was tested a week yeah. before and that test came back clean, whether it was blood or urine or probably blood because they were looking for it, then what changed in between those days? Now, now I'm not, I'm not, you know, taken away from the fact that he may have been dirty, but again, without the sample, without the ability to retest, we're never going to know. And it's like, if the guy got wronged and he doesn't come back or he doesn't compete, He's going to go out not being able to be proven innocent, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like, they, they've got to figure out if they, if they're going to do tests like this, they've got to figure out a way to do it and not screw it up. Right. Well, <laughs> like, they were, you can't screw it up because then someone's going to get off on a technicality. Well, the company that did it, Hong Kong Functional Medical Testing Center, is about an hour by ferry from the arena. Now, the place that was WADA approved is about four hours away from the arena. So, you know, it's weird. It said, um, you know, that the testing was done uh, on Kung Lee and Bisping and sent to the, you know, to that medical facility. And then over a month later, they announced that he tested positive. And it's weird that, that, you know, it took that long and that the UFC didn't have the information available to them to know that they weren't accredited by the world anti-doping agency i mean the the nearest lab according to the mma junkie report is four hours away from macau so it's like did you guys cut corners to get the test results to a closer lab to get results faster and and jeopardize the integrity of the testing procedure 
And this poses another question, which is what I'm going to say is, why hasn't the UFC found a partner yet to handle all their independent testing? Like, oh, we're just going to hire this phlebotomist. (laughs) You know, we're just going to hire this phlebotomist to draw blood and send it to this one facility. You know what I mean? Like, like there should be a partnership with a with a laboratory in every in every region that they do shows here in the U.S. X company, yeah, in China X, in Japan X, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, honestly, they should be able to get WADA to do it. To be honestly, right? But they probably uh, don't want to pay that. But I don't. I don't know why they can't get WADA to do. I don't know why they won't get WADA to do it. Um, it, it's almost as if they don't want to catch people. <laughs> to be honest with you. Interesting way to uh, look at also, it. It, just, it surprises me when they do because I, I don't think the UFC really wants to catch people. I think that they don't want to. I, I think, and and this goes into, into WWE territory, into wrestling territory a little bit. I think they're picking and choosing mm-hmm. who they want to catch. Like, Kung Lee went into that and Bisping was already like, yo, this dude looks suspect. And everybody was like, yeah, this guy looks a little suspect. And then, fuck it, we got to test him. And then he got popped and they're like, oh, well then we're, we're just going to acknowledge it. And what people are saying, a lot, of, a lot of MMA sites, a lot of journalists are saying, is that the UFC rushed to judgment because they finally popped somebody for HGH. Like, they're like, yo, we got him. And they ran out to, to, yeah. to announce it without doing the due diligence. It's like, yo, you're going to announce that this dude got popped. You're going to suspend the dude for a year. And now that it's coming out that it's not a world anti-doping agency approved facility, you're like, oh, well, shit happens. I don't know, man. That that kind of that yeah. kind of raises some some serious doubt. Yeah, like that, that that's that's what I'm thinking. Like they, I think they so wanted uh, with, with all the suspicion they had. I don't think they had much of a choice but right. to be like, okay, well, we got to look at this, and if he is on something, then we have to say it. Yep. Um, and I think I feel like that's what happened. Um, and I mean, I can't say it's unfortunate for Kung Lee because I think he was actually on it. Yep, he probably but was. It's unfortunate how this went about, right? Because now people are questioning their testing methods. Yep, and the minute that you start questioning testing methods is the minute that guys that are higher profile that got the money and get bagged are going to start paying for an independent test to appeal. They're going to be like, "Well, I'm going to pay this hundred thousand dollar facility that's WADA approved that's going to tell you that I'm clean," versus you know your mom and pop blood shop that said I'm not. Yeah, and that's. Uh they got to do better. Like if you're going to drug test, you got to do better to make it where it doesn't become this. It doesn't become an extra story. Once you talk, once you call somebody, there you go. So switching gears, we were talking about Diego Sanchez earlier. It looks like Diego Sanchez has a date with Joe Lazan for UFC 180. I feel another fight of the night bonus heading Joe Lazan's way. I also feel that that is probably going to be a bloodbath. Anyway, you slice it. That's going to be the tough, Latin America finals are for bantamweights and featherweights. Obviously, Kane, Fabricio are going to main event that card. You knew Diego Sanchez was fighting in Mexico. It was just a matter of who he was oh, fighting. I mean, of course. <laughs> at that point. Well, yeah, of, co- of course he's fighting in Mexico. And even if he actually loses, he's probably going to win in Mexico. <laughs> even if he loses, he's going to win, and they're still going to quietly give Joe Lozano fight of the night bonus. And probably his win bonus, too. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's gonna it's gonna be a rough night, man. I think I think that card is shaping up to be very very interesting. Obviously, with Kane uh, main eventing, I think Kane is probably gonna get the biggest pop of his career 
in Mexico, even though he's not out there really acknowledging that he's Mexican. I mean, he is, but he's not really jumping out of his skin, you know, doing interviews in Spanish and, and any of that crazy shit. Meanwhile, you know, Diego Sanchez comes out in a poncho, a fucking sombrero, riding a burro. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, Kane has done some interviews in Spanish, but it's clear that Spanish is nope. his second language. There you like, go. <laughs> it's kind of clear that, you know, he he's, he's Hispanic, but he's not. Right. He's second generation. Yep, he's and like so Buenos Tardes. <laughs> and, and, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not Hispanic, so I don't know if that's a, you know, a real issue to Hispanics or anything like that. But, you know, he, he, you know, he's trying to do something with it. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that he gets his big pop and I'm, I'm hoping that he, it, it becomes a huge thing in Mexico. But I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of good fighters in Mexico or not, but I'm, I'm looking forward to see what this car looks like because, uh, Kane is, he has been too long since Kane is fought. Kane is one of my favorite fighters to watch fight and it's been too long since watching him fight. I agree a hundred percent. And I think the thing about, uh, about the UFC making a jump into Mexico and, you know, uh, uh, racial stereotypes aside, I think they want to kind of loosen the stranglehold that boxing has on Mexico. There's a lot of great boxers come out of Mexico. A lot of, uh, a lot of hungry, amazing boxing talent comes out of Mexico. And they're, I think they're looking to give just a, another outlet to the fighters. Like they want to tell them, hey, you know, you, you don't just have to box. And I think that's a step in the right direction, and I think this card is going to definitely change uh, change that substantially. I, the only thing that concerns me in this instance is that you go out there, you crown these these brand new fighters, you make a presence in Mexico, and you know something ruins it. You know somebody gets popped or something. You know dr- uh, you know drug test related. I mean, Kane is going to go out there, and I think him and Verdum are going to have a great fight. And Kane is look is gonna probably go out there and give an amazing performance in front of a hometown crowd. But you know, I also feel that his excitement to be in front of a hometown crowd is lot li- is liable to make him, uh, you know, kind of kind of set trip and try and go to the ground with Fabrizio Verdum and get caught. I don't I, I don't know. Kane Kane is one of the more intelligent fighters. Like I I really think <laughs> I don't think he's even thinking about going to the ground. Like I don't think they're training. Oh yeah, let's take him to the ground at all. Like I think they're training like beat him up on the feet. Yeah. All over the cage, which I think he can do. Um the whole fight. Like don't even touch the ground with him. Yeah, you can't you can't touch the ground unless but, it's the finish. Yeah, um, but but you know what the, like you know what'll happen? Like Fabrice Overdoom will be the dude that'll lay on the ground and, and invite you to call in. He'll, he'll he'll give you the call in to take the fight to the ground. And Cain Velasquez will be the dude that'll do like a jumping fucking punch right into his face. Just because he's that yeah, type like of, a, this, of a psycho. This ain't <laughs> um, Overeem. This, this ain't uh, uh, Fedor nope. when he's out of his prime. This is a dude that will hurt you. Yep. <laughs> like legit hurt you. It doesn't even seem to really break a sweat about it. Nope. So Josh Berkman is heading back to the UFC, and he will be meeting Hector Lombard at UFC 182. Um, Josh Berkman jumped ship from World Series of Fighting to the UFC um, I always like Josh Berkman, mm-hmm. very exciting dude. I kind of feel that World Series of Fighting just didn't, couldn't get him a good fight, and I think he just got pissed off, and he figured, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah, and also, according to him, he purposely lost his last fight, which is entirely possible. Like, he, he said he lost that last fight to get out of his contract, which I wouldn't even have been shocked if he did, because, I mean, the way he got he basically got signed off a loss, which kind of insinuates that which would be slightly illegal. Yep. 
um, that he already told the UFC, like, yo, I want to come back to the UFC. And the UFC was like, well, you're a champion. That's kind of hard for us to do. And then all of a sudden he's losing to a guy he should have probably beaten fairly right. easily. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of sketchy business. I mean, having Berkman in there is good for the organization. I mean, he's, a, he's an exciting fighter to watch. Um, coming in there against Hector Lombard, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you if that was the if that was what you wanted on the way in. Yeah, Hector Lombard. I mean, yeah, you, <laughs> that that should be a good fight because I mean we we know what we're getting from Hector Lombard. We know what we're getting from Josh Berkman. Um, might not have been the, the fight that you want to take when you first come in, but you know it's it's it, it should be a good fight. So I wanna I wanna definitely touch on this. I told you before we went on air about this war machine situation and. I just said to myself after reading it, I'm like, why does he just continue to put himself out there? So uh, War Machine sent a letter to one of his friends while he was in jail. And, of course, that friend in turn sold it to TMZ because, you know, that's what he did. (laughs) Why wouldn't you? You know, and pretty much he said in the letter, War Machine claims that Christy Mack is lying in order to protect Corey Thomas, the man that uh, Mack was allegedly caught having an affair with. Um along with protecting her image. But in addition to him saying that, which, it, okay, you could say that because you're in jail, he also said that if he was in Texas and shot them both, he believed he would have gotten away with the crime as an act of passion. <laughs> he, and then um, he wrote, hold, check this out, he wrote, even if I wasn't ambushed, they still would have got what they deserved. In Texas, you could have shot them both and got off with passion crime shit. War Machine is currently facing 32 charges, which include attempted murder, battery, kidnapping, and sexual assault. Oh. <laughs> um, he doesn't live in the same world that me, me, you, and normal people live in. War, Dude, who does War that? Machine lives in War Machine land where, where shit like that is normal. Like, thinking like that, I guess, is... Yeah, thank you, Slick. There, there's no, they weren't together. Like, how is that an affair? Second yep. of all, um, you came to her house. Like, that was her her house. Beat the shit out of her. Who is she trying to protect when you beat the shit? Like, how how can you fabricate <laughs> her? In, you can't fabricate those injuries. Like, nope, you can't. <sighs> and here's here's the best one. I like that he said that she was also doing it to protect her image. She fucks on camera for money, dude. What image? (laughs) What image are you protecting? I mean, I'm sure she has an image, but she don't really have a... What? (laughs) I mean, yeah, she has some sort of image. I'm sure sure she has some sort of image. Like, he has fans and all that, but she's a porn star. Like, he... her, Her image is fucking on camera. Right. Like her, her image is acting like a slut on camera. That's, that is her job, and that is her image. Right. And she's probably a nice human How being. How is she protecting her image? Right. She's probably yeah, a nice human being. She's probably a nice girl. <laughs> and, and, you know, this dude's over here, and here's where, that's what got me. He wrote the letter, and, and, I, and you know, whatever. Hey, man, I'm writing this letter to my boy. Yo, I'm not guilty. Okay. Perfectly understandable when somebody's in jail that they're going to write the letter, the I'm not guilty letter. But then when you say, yo, if I would have shot them, I would have been good money. It's crazy. You know, it's, it's like the, when OJ was like, I'm going to write this book if I did it. Because you did. <laughs> you know, like. It's, it, 
those type of people don't live in the same place. The it's same, insane. Dude. Same world. Like, like, like when I, when I, when, when earlier today, when I was being stupid all on Facebook and I, I made a comment about Aaron Hernandez, yep. um, he, 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 he did the same thing. He, he wrote a letter talking about how he's not guilty, even though there's video of his, of his camera in his house of him walking around with the murder weapon. Like mm-hmm. just just chilling in his house with a murder weapon. Yep. Like these people don't live in the same world we do. They nope. they think even though they um, were in War Machine place almost killed somebody in Aaron Hernandez's case did kill two people two separate t- times. Maybe uh-huh. more than that. <laughs> like, <laughs> huh? Maybe more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's entirely possible he killed more people than that. It. They don't live in the same world as us. They nope. live in a land where they're innocent. At all times, no matter what we say, you're wrong. You're always the one who's wrong. Yep. <laughs> and it, and it, the thing that gets me is, you know, it, it, speaking of what you shared on Facebook, you, you know, you shared the, the Adrian Peterson situation. And I was actually going to talk that in, um, <laughs> in my monologue. But I'm going to, you know, kind of bring that full circle because Adrian Peterson is on trial for, you know, abusing his kid and beating his kid with a switch. Now, whether your yeah. views on... on you know, disciplining your kids fall in line with sometimes your kid needs a good ass whooping versus, you know, um, you know, physical, physical punishment doesn't work. Whatever the case may be, it, 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 the, the, the situation evolved from you beat your kid with a switch to your charity, you pilfered money out of your charity to finance an orgy. And the thing that gets me with this stuff is that everybody's making, everybody's talking about all this stuff in such a, a shocked light. And what people don't understand is that when you have money, and the joke about it is when you have fuck you money, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Nothing is impossible. When you got that lever up. That's one one of the things. Yeah, the fuck you money part is is one thing, too. It's also when, not so much a War Machines case, but in like an Aaron Hernandez and Adrian Peterson case, when you've been the best at what you do since you were a child, um, and no one has ever told you no, Yep. Ever. At any point in your life, has anyone told you no? Because you've always been the athlete. You've always been, you know, special. Right. Which, which, is, which is why I give uh, someone like LeBron James a lot of credit because this, this dude, since he was like 10, was like 9 probably, so he dunk a basketball. Yep. Clearly was going to the NBA since he was like 9, and he hasn't gone insane because I would have done some stupid shit yep. <laughs> because I know I'm, I can get away with it. Well, that's and, the thing. Like these type of people don't live in the same world as us because they they've never had to. Well, you know what the and, funny thing is, you bring up that. Oh, go ahead. No, what I was going to say is, you bring that up, and I'll I'll let you bring it home. But even in War Machine's case, you think anybody's telling that crazy dude no? no. <laughs> like that's what I mean. Like Not in his point. case, enablers. <laughs> right. In in his case, nobody's telling him no. He's getting a bro fist. Like, yo, man, you good? Like, he gets more people to co-sign for his bad behavior versus guys whose behavior is co-signed because they got money. See, in in their cases, they're getting they're getting the pass because of their bank accounts. In War Machine's case, he skated because, you know, he, he's he's the uh, you know, he's the he's the guy that everybody likes to be friends with, but doesn't want to be friends with, you know, like you'll go to the club with that guy. <laughs> Because all the chicks who come to the table and they want to talk and, you know, if something pops off, he'll break a dude's jaw with you while he's there. But then on the flip side, you don't want to hang with him when he nearly beat his girl to death. 
You get what I'm saying? Like, like his presence yeah. is what makes him what he is, and his presence only got him so far because the cops, the cops are like, yeah, whatever, dude. It's the, the cops aren't starstruck by War Machine. You know, the judge isn't starstruck by War Machine. Nobody gives a shit. You're like, yo, you're a two bit dude who got a, you know, who fought in the UFC once or twice and fought in some. They'll be like in some no name organization, and that's who you are. Like Adrian Peterson, an entire an entire state knows who he is. You know, an entire country knows who he is. Yeah, and and for him, and with Adrian Peterson, has been like that since he was child. I mean, this is he was the number one running back coming out of high school, the number one running back coming out of college, set so many set records in the NFL. Like he's never had anyone tell him no. Yep. And now in these situations, like, okay, I have a charity. I could take a little bit of money, and I. I don't even know how you go about funding a fucking orgy, but well, no. Here's here's what I happened. I could take this money and go buy some prostitutes and have an orgy. Now he denies it ever happened. Of course he does. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it has. I I'm not shocked by it if he actually did it. Nope. Well, here's here's how here's you know just to just to go a little inside, and I know we 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 went we went off the rails a bit, but we'll bring it home. When you have a business yeah. and you claim a business and you get. Uh, tax ID for that business. You can open up a bank account for that business, and he probably had, uh, you know, expense accounts and credit cards for that business. Allegedly, what's been said is that the credit cards that were used by the business to buy expenses, et cetera, et cetera, um, that card was used to finance all the alleged escorts that were hired for said orgy. So when you look at the at when you look at the credit card statement you know it's not going to say uh, you know Boy. staples it's not going to say it's not going to say staples or you know wb mason or verizon it's going to say balls deep inc you know or some or or something just terrible and you know it, the minute you look at those financials you're like oh uh somebody made a bit of a mistake that night and and that's the problem. You can't hide that if you wanted to. Even if you say, you know, Foxy Foxy Legs Incorporated, that's either a chat line, a strip club, or escort service. Like there's, you're not hiding that. You know, it's not gonna be. You, you know, you don't. You're not hearing an escort company called, you know, Amalgamated Inc. They're gonna be called something. You know, women of ill repute. You know, the women of ill repute. Whatever the case may be. You know, it's like it's like that's what gets me and. I think that at that point in his case, he should just be like, I fucked up. I'm sorry. I pulled out the wrong card that night and you know, yeah, yeah. I went out and I had an orgy, but fuck it. I'm, I'm rich. Wouldn't you like, I think people would just be more accepting if that was the case. Like, listen, I had the wrong wallet or I had the wrong card that night. You know, I got a black card. It's not like I'm not good for the money. He's like, I didn't, you know, I yeah, didn't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I mean, if, if, if he hadn't have gone uh, and beat the hell out of the kid. Nobody would have uh, known. Nobody would have known. Yeah, like, yeah, well, one, nobody would have known. And two, if this did come out after that, and, and, and or, or if he hadn't beat his kid and, and nobody had known about the beating of his kid and then this somehow came out, he would have been able to do that. He, he would have been able to cop that. Like, look, I... I, I I had the wrong card. I put the money back because I, I would be shocked if he spent that money and didn't put it back. Like seriously, it's not like he doesn't have the money. Nope. Like, so I mean, you know, I, I'll be shocked if he did that, didn't put the money back. He could be like, "Look, I, I did it. I put the money back. That was my bad. I don't know why this is a story now because I put the money back." 
There you go. Yeah, that 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 should be his response. But you know, he's claiming he didn't do it. I I don't know. But dude, uh, to to to, mean, to put the to put the lid on it, <laughs> to put the lid on it, dude. When it comes to athletes at this point in the game, nothing would surprise me. <laughs> After you, you know, you watch you watch he got game, and anybody who hasn't seen he got game will understand because you remember the recruitment <laughs> process in he got game. Yeah, I, I, I know. <laughs> A uh, a guy who, um, well, he's in the NFL now, actually. Um, Andre Robinson, he, he plays for the uh, the Washington Redskins. We went to high school together, and I remember he, he was a couple of years ahead of me. And I remember when he went on college visit, and um, some of the stories there you um, go. from the college visits, like they they weren't prostitutes; they were just they were college students. Yep. They were female college students, just uh, offering sex. That's it. Part of the program, just, you know. Part of, part of the program. Kane is like, able. Hey, you want to come to the school? That's it. Kane is able. Part of the program. <laughs> um, yeah. So well. that I, I figured we'd have a good laugh about that. But to wrap things up, um, I caught the Bellator event. I saw Daniel Strauss separate Justin Wilcox's consciousness from his dome, and I also saw Carol Parisian just get murked <laughs> immediately in the first round. Yeah, Carol Parisian <laughs> is done with MMA. <laughs> I was shocked to see Rob Emerson on that card. I was like, oh, shit, I know that guy. <laughs> Dude, I haven't seen Rob Emerson fight in a long time. Seriously. That was, man, that was, yeah. Uh, Dan Strauss was good, though. Um, that's a guy I would love to see in the UFC. Uh, probably locked up by Bellator and probably going to be locked up by them for a while, but he, he's a guy I would really like to see in the UFC one day. Yeah, I mean, Kendall Grove w- was good. Kendall Grove is weird because just when you think he's he's hit the skids, he comes back. And he surprises everybody. So definitely solid performance by him. The um the overall prelims were solid too. On the um on the flip side, the UFC finalized a, a couple of good events that I wanted to put out there. Um, Frankie Edgar, Cub mm-hmm. Swanson going down November twenty second. Um, that's UFC Fight Night fifty seven. Uh, Bobby Green, Edson Barboza is going to be a problem. That's going to be a serious fight. Actually, dope. That, that's gonna be a, a, a that's gonna be one of those fights where you're like, yeah, somebody's getting hurt violently. And then um, the Fox is getting a good card. Junior dos Santos, Stipe Miocic. Uh, that's December thirteenth. Also on that card, uh, big big return for Nate Diaz taking on Rafael dos Anjos and Alistair Overeem taking on Stefan Struve. Which I kind of wanted to touch on this because I'll be I'm gonna tell you right now, if Alistair Overeem loses to Stefan Struve, he needs to fucking retire. <laughs> He, there's no reason that he shouldn't be able to knock out Stephen Struve. Like, there's, there's no reason whatsoever that he shouldn't be able to knock out Stephen Struve. And if he doesn't, you're right. He needs to stop. If he gets knocked out by Stephen Struve, he needs to stop fighting. Just just hang it up. Let it go. It's not working out for you, man. Go go be an action star in Hollywood or something. Just, it, it's not working out for you getting hit in the face. Yeah, it's just it just this doesn't work. Because for me, the way I see it, you know, it's it's one of those things where no disrespect to Stefan Struve, you know, the guy the guy's a talented fighter, but it's like Alistair Overeem, you're mm-hmm. coming in, you know, via via a, a good pedigree, so I don't know where it's going wrong for you, whatever the case may be. But I just figured his chin is shit. Yeah, yeah, his chin is shit. But I'm just saying that no, again, no disrespect to um, Stefan Struve, but to take that fight with him. At the risk of this is going to be the fight that gets you cut is is a big gamble. 
Like, Stefan Struve, he had that health problem. He could probably afford to lose one fight. But it's like Overeem. You can't afford to lose that. I don't, he probably didn't have a choice. They were probably like, this is who you're fighting. If you do not win, we're cutting you. <laughs> yep. Like, they, 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 they probably just didn't give him any choice whatsoever. And nor does he deserve a choice. He gets paid too much to be getting knocked out all the damn time. There you go. Um, speaking, speaking of, of, of that, Piotr Hallman, um, who fought, he, uh, he fought, he lost to Gleason Tebow, popped for drugs too. Mm-hmm. Just, it's just, yeah, it's just, I saw that. Yep. Just running, just running rampant. But uh, on the, on the flip side, Rusamal Paharis is finally going to defend his belt <laughs> against John Fitch, but they're going up against that Stipe Miocic, uh, Dos Santos card, which yeah, I don't know how that's going to go. Um, poorly for a World Series of fighting. <laughs> um, Poor very poorly, but I mean, it should be a good fight. Um, we'll, we'll see who gets. I mean, either John Fitch is going to lay on him for five rounds, or Husamar Fahir is going to rip his leg out the socket. That's it, one way or the other. And of course, the one fight that I'm pumped for: Melvin Manoff facing Joe Schilling. Uh, Bellator one thirty one goes down November fifteenth. Um, obviously, prelim spike dot com main card Spike TV. I'm pumped, man, to see this resurgence for Melvin. Melvin is a problem. See him in there facing a guy like Joe Schilling. Um, I think those guys are going to go out there and they're just going to stand in the middle of the cage, rock them, sock them, robots till somebody's unconscious. I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it too. I'm. I hope they do Melvin Van Hoff versus Paul Daly at some point. I, I I would love to see that fight. Yeah, that'd be a tremendous fight. I'd love to see that as well. I think that would be the fight that everybody will want to see. Yeah, I, yeah. I, man, that would be a great fight. <laughs> Well, there you have it. That uh, that um actually wraps up the news for this week. Um, just wanted to ask, you didn't do a double HND this week, right? Uh, no, we did not. We're gonna do one Saturday. Uh, schedule got crossed today. We, we were gonna do one today, but uh, ended up some ended up coming up, so we didn't do one today. But we got we got some we got our first review on on this iteration of our show coming up, uh, where we're gonna review uh, Childish Gambino's new mixtape, uh, Stone Mountain, uh, that just came out. Uh, did it come out? last week yeah, yeah came Tuesday, out about monday i think or, yeah, monday or, or early Tuesday. this week and yeah and uh we're also going to review um uh ep from another uh west coast rapper named Vince staples so we're going to do our first reviews and we're going to you know do our normal uh rants related about sports and and nerd topics beforehand all right um any particular time you guys got in mind or uh probably saturday we're, we're thinking saturday night okay um at at the at the latest because uh that that's what we kind of just talked about. But Saturday, Saturday is the most likely the day that it's going to be dropped. All right. I will um, add the link once again in the show notes for this week, along with the Saturday time. Just make sure to send me the links and I'll make sure to get them out as well. For those that want to check out the broadcast, as always, you can follow Ben on okay, Twitter cool. at blackout 89. Anything else you want to add my friend? Nah, that's, that's it, man. All right, my dude, thank you for calling in and assisting this week. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Peace. All right, Peace. All right, guys, that was our very own Ben. You can find him on Twitter at Blackout89, B-L-A-Q-O-U-T, the number eight, the number nine on Twitter. You can also find him on our Facebook fan page, always ready to talk some MMA, uh, NFL, or hip-hop. So definitely look for Ben either on our Facebook fan page or on Twitter. As he mentioned, his podcast, The Double HND, um, definitely can be checked out on Mixler, and I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes and I'll make sure to also share the link on Saturday night if you guys want to tune in as well. All right. 
let's switch gears. Let's jump into this week's wrestling segment. Um, I see one of our listeners, Brian, said that there's an issue with the audio for the guests. A couple of things. We got a brand new sound card, so we were testing it with Andrew today, and I thought we had worked all the bugs out. Uh, Hopefully, the sound is in the video feed of the show, in which case you can catch that on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash TV, and uh, hopefully we'll have that resolved in time for tomorrow's show. All right, let's get into this week's wrestling news, which there's quite a bit to discuss, especially from the uh, from the raw side of things. So let's get that ball rolling, shall we? All right, guys, our wrestling segment this week, as always, is brought to you by WWE Shop.com. Use our promo code WWE Save 10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, that promo code is WWE Save 10, and you can save $10 on orders over $70 or more. You can also find banners for WWE Shop on MyTakeRadio.com and RageWorks.net with other promo codes and offers as well. All right, so. We got a a decent week of wrestling news, but I actually want to talk about Monday Night Raw this past week. Um, Monday Night Raw broadcast live from the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn, New York. And um, I'll be honest, the broadcast up until the later part of the the evening was incredibly, incredibly subpar. There were so many things that were going wrong with the broadcast that I honestly was having a hard time keeping attention. I mean, the opening segment was okay. Obviously, the continued continued teasing of dissension between uh, John Cena and Dean Ambrose, of course, was the focal point. And you you can really see that WWE has to adapt Um, with Dean Ambrose versus a guy like Roman Reigns because you can't book them the same way. Dean Ambrose is in a different class all his own. He's a different type of athlete. He's a different type of performer, and he just has a different type of presence on screen versus a guy like Roman Reigns who's a bit more physically imposing, easy on the eyes for the ladies, and is essentially being groomed to carry the, the torch for the company within the next year or two. In Ambrose's case, Ambrose is coming from an independent background, uh, from a career in in promotions like CZW and countless other promotions. He has um, a a pretty expanded repertoire with regards to working uh, standard pro wrestling style, hardcore style, etc., etc., and I think that the approach to booking him, they're still kind of working out all the bugs, but in any event, uh, Dolph Ziggler and the Usos was our first match of the evening, taking on Stardust and Goldust with Antonio Cesaro. Um, overall, a very, very exciting match. Um, short and to the point, but I think that the the intent was there. I really liked the chemistry between Dolph Ziggler and Cesaro. I mean, Dolph Ziggler was already running uh, an amazing feud with... Um, you know, with The Miz, and now it seems that they've just traded opponents, obviously Sheamus with The Miz and Cesaro with Dolph Ziggler. Either way, the trades aren't bad for different reasons. In a case like a guy like Antonio Cesaro, Dolph Ziggler really just makes him look better in terms of just the offense and the selling. 
in in the in Sheamus's case, a heel like the Miz is gonna allow the crowd to to root for Sheamus in in a more effective fashion. Because I've always said Sheamus is a rather one dimensional face, and the only way that you can get a maximum crowd response for him is by ensuring that the crowd can really really effectively get behind him and the funny thing was that uh the new york crowd was was interesting to say the least and i want to get into that in a couple of different instances later on in the segment um the first part that i want to address with regards to the crowd was the kathy lee and hoda segment which was just a complete disaster and the reason i say this is because wwe and their partnership with coleman for the cure is something that is you know nationally recognized, uh, globally recognized, depending on the markets that are out there. And as someone who's worked with 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 uh, Coleman for the Cure uh, on numerous occasions, I know that the message that they're trying to get out there is is you know genuine, and they're trying to reach new audiences. And the partnerships are a big factor in that. Now, when you're taking uh, women like Kathy Lee Gifford and and Hoda and using them as almost like a gimmick for 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 the purpose of of, of Coleman for the cure. I just feel that it, it was just poorly well done. And the reason I say this is because you could have done uh, an early in the day segment or a pre tape segment, maybe something backstage that would have been shorter and to the point and doesn't eat into TV time. By pretty much feeding both of these women to the wolves, you shouldn't be shocked with the crowd response that they got. And obviously, parading them out there with Adam Rose, it's funny, it's cute, but it it's not what you want to do when you're trying to um, raise awareness for a cause that you're involved in. It almost felt like the Coleman for the Cure cause was used as a as a backdrop for a gimmick was used as a backdrop for a guest host. And I just feel that in that particular instance, it was just a, a terribly executed moment, and the crowd let them know it. I When I saw that segment, I was just like, really, this 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 happened? Because I've seen, you know, Coleman for the Cure represented correctly, and, you know, the, every year that they've been working with the WWE. The only thing is that they've never, and I think this would be the first time they've used it in sort of a gimmicky fashion, and I think that it was just a uh, a poor execution across the board, and they actually redeemed themselves later on in the evening, and I'll get into that, but that opening segment definitely ruffled a lot of feathers. I know a lot of people are like, really, this is this is what we're doing? This is how you're trying to raise awareness with, with these two drunk old ladies? And, you know, the audience that you're trying to capture, uh, you know, you're trying to capture an 18 to 34 male demographic, Nobody gives a damn about the ladies that host, you know, the morning show. I'm sorry, they don't. That's just that's just plain as day. But I will say that, you know, the ladies took it in stride. They they even though they got booed out of the building, they they pretty much kept a a, a smile on their face and tried to make it work as best as they can. It's unfortunate that it was just the wrong guest stars for the wrong crowd. And I'm sure that next week's Raw is going to have a similar response, and I'll get into that later on in the segment when I tell you guys who the guest stars are going to be for that episode. Anyway, Mark Henry took on Bo Dallas in another match where, you know, Bo Dallas continues to get over at the expense of Mark Henry. I feel that this feud is just a poor, poor excuse of just time 
time management because Mark Henry is the only guy on your roster that continues to be an imposing force and you're using him to get over a guy like Bo Dallas. Bo Dallas, as much as you try to make him appealing, his gimmick, you know, his whole Tim Tebow style Bo Leave gimmick is just really not that great. While it was great in NXT, which I've said is a smaller venue, bringing the bringing it up to the main stage to the main roster is not going to generate the same outcome. I hate to admit it, but it's just not going to work the same. On the contrary, if they want to do something good with Bo Dallas, you're going to want to put him in a feud with a guy that is 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 going to bring out something unique. Mark Henry's a bruiser, he's a brawler, he's a scary guy, and Bo Dallas is just not getting over the right way. And Mark Henry being the catalyst for that is just poor creative writing. It is. I mean, you know, the, the, you're sacrificing a guy like Mark Henry who still has a, a couple of good years left to put over a guy whose gimmick is just honestly not catching on. Yeah, you got some Bo Leave signs here or there, but you're not. You're, he's not catching on. Like the crowd is meh when he comes out. That's how I see it. Meanwhile, I'll say this: the <clears throat> the the segment with Cena and Ambrose later on in the evening was interesting because John Cena started a show a different side in terms of chemistry because Ambrose is just a different animal to deal with. And I thought that the segment was well done. Ambrose walking out on John Cena was good. And I think it made things interesting. Plus of course, you know, the subtle nod to to New York city, taking the ride, going to Coney Island, you get the crowd into that and it's always good. You know, the cheap pop is the cheap pop, but it's still effective at the end of the day. Meanwhile, the Total Divas angles continue to plague Monday Night Raw. In this instance, it was Brie Bella with one hand tied behind her back facing Summer Rae and Layla, and it was, it, was, it was just terrible. It really was terrible. And the reason I say she was facing Summer Rae and Layla is because, in essence, that's what you're doing. Even if you're wrestling Summer Rae, you're still going to have to deal with Layla. Um, Brie Bella, of course, she won. She, she got the yes chant, which... Obviously, by association, she's going to get that chant being married to Daniel Bryan. I don't have a problem with Brie Bella's performances. I just feel that the that the sibling rivalry, total divas involvement is really just taking away from the product, especially with the with the confirmation from numerous divas that while total divas is going on, no diva that's involved with the show can compete for the women's title. Obviously, there's there's an exception that can be made with Brie given that, you know, she's involved with Daniel Bryan and she's probably one of the the Bellas that they can use as the face for the division. My issue comes more so from the fact that Natalia being involved in Total Divas eliminates her from any title opportunities, which is unfortunate because she's one of the better wrestlers in that division. So what you're essentially left with is AJ, Paige, Alicia Fox, Emma and any of the Divas that come up from NXT, because it feels like everybody else is, uh, Tamina's injured, it feels like everybody else is on Total Divas, so none of those women can can be champions. Sure, they may be able to challenge for the belt, but based on what's been said, they're not allowed to be champion during the, during the time that they're on the show. So Brie Bella probably will be the exception to that, obviously because she's becoming more popular, but I, I'm, really, I'm really against the constant association of total divas 
uh, the sibling feud, and just the overall dynamic of the Divas roster. It just doesn't work, and I honestly feel that they'd be better served either keeping a dedicate, keeping the angles of Total Divas on Total Divas and just allowing the women's division to exist the way it's supposed to on Monday Night Raw and SmackDown and NXT and all the other um, all the other shows. The way I see it in this instance is that you're you're cannibalizing your women's division for for the for the sake of reality programming, which one doesn't really affect the other. Nothing is more annoying than the angles that are going on on Total Divas, you know, boiling into um, a raw broadcast. It really takes away from the product, and it just sours people on the division as a whole. <sighs> we had a Tyson Kidd sighting this week. <laughs> Tyson Kidd was on Raw, obviously partly um, to put Natalia over, but also... Um, they had him in a match with Jack Swagger. And my issue with this is you take a guy like Tyson Kidd, you put him down in NXT, he becomes a force, practically a main eventer for NXT, and then you bring him up to SmackDown and you have him lose to Jack Swagger. What this does is that it it makes people look at Tyson Kidd as the guy that belongs with the with the with the amateurs down in NXT. Don't get me wrong, NXT has tremendous talent, and to a degree, there's some weeks where NXT is better than the televised programming, but taking a guy like Tyson Kidd, who you've put so much energy into building up, and stuffing him into this match with Jack Swagger, at the expense of, again, a quasi-total divas issue with her, with him and, and Natalia, you're, you're hurting the guy's potential to be something more than... A, Natalia's husband, and B, the guy that went to NXT. And that's my issue. Tyson Kidd should have won that match and probably should have picked up some momentum because that would have helped him in NXT as well because, you know, you can add that to his character where he says, yeah, you know, I go on Raw, I win. I'm on NXT, I win. Why? Because I'm a winner. Whatever the case may be, but at least it adds a new dimension to his gimmick. Instead, he's Natty's husband, he's the guy that can't win the NXT title, and he gets jobbed, not jobbed out to Jack Swagger, but he loses in a pretty decisive fashion. Fact. Thank you, Mortis. You know, it's 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 crazy. I just it, it bothers me so much because Tyson Kidd's a great performer. The guy came was the last graduate of the Hart family dungeon. He is not a slouch in the ring. Yeah, sure, his mic work isn't you know five star, but his wrestling is great, and you've built him up so well in NXT that he shouldn't be losing on Raw. He shouldn't, and if he would have beat Jack Swagger, it wouldn't have hurt Jack Swagger either because it would have shown that Tyson Kidd is just on another level. That's all. Like Slick just said, he put on a great show in the NXT Fatal 4-Way, and that's what I'm saying. You put on that type of a show, that type of a performance, and then you have him lose on a on a bigger stage. Why? Nothing. Nothing was accomplished other than angle advancement for Total Divas with the issues between him and Natalia, Everything else was just, it wasn't even a factor. It really wasn't. So, Roman Reigns via satellite, a.k.a. backstage, um, gave us an update on his injury and how he's recovering. The funny thing about his update was the fact that at that moment, during that promo, you saw that Roman Reigns just, he's just not there mic-wise. He's like, yeah, I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to punch people in the face, and um, I'm ready, 
and uh, you know I'm I'm motivated to come back. I'm looking forward to coming back, and I'm ready. And it all it just felt like he had like a deer in the headlights kind of a look. And it bothered me because I said to myself, this is the guy that they're pouring every ounce of energy into. And again, not to take anything away from Roman Reigns, but he's not quite there yet. Yes, you want him to be a main eventer. You know he can be a main eventer, but he's not ready just yet, especially his mic work. His mic work really showed that he's not ready because you're doing an interview off camera and you're you're not speaking to anybody. You're not speaking to Renee Young. You're not speaking to your opponent. You're you're just talking into a camera and you just can't get it together. That's not to say that he won't, because I'll be honest, I you know, when I did the first video uh broadcast for MTR, that was episode two hundred. Here we are on the verge of episode two hundred and fifty, and even now I look at at the video when I'm editing it and I'm like, wow, I should look at the camera more. I should try not to let my eyes wander towards my monitors. I, and I understand, I understand that it's a process. It's a learning curve, but my issue comes from the fact that WWE is rushing this guy and not allowing him to grow into his persona. If, if you listen to episode one of my take radio and episode 20, or to, uh, you go like this. If you listen to episode one and episode twenty-five, the sounds are substantially different. the The cadence, the the interactions are substantially different from twenty-five to fifty, fifty to a hundred, et cetera, et cetera. That stuff it just continues to evolve, and it and the only way that it's going to evolve is by doing it consistently. By having Roman Reigns come out there and cut these one-dimensional promos, you're not you're not doing it. You know what I mean? You're not. You're not um you're not giving yourself the opportunity to improve. Now, don't get me wrong. Even now with 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 X number of episodes under my belt, there are days I can't even look. I'm editing and I'm like, "Ugh, what what the hell was I doing there?" And I think that in Roman Reigns' case, it's going to be a matter of he's going to need somebody to sit him down. Maybe maybe you need to make these guys take improv. Or you need to have them deal with with coaches, with acting coaches. I think that's that's a big part of bringing everything full circle. And you can see the guys that are going out there and trying to learn. I mean, Dolph Ziggler's a guy that you see him on Twitter talking about that he's doing improv or he's doing stand-up. And yeah, you know, sure, Dolph Ziggler doing stand-up, whatever, whether he's funny or not funny, he's actually applying that to his character. You can see it because Dolph Ziggler was a guy that was managed by Vicky Guerrero, she pretty much sucked any heat he had out of the room because she was such a, an overwhelming presence, but it allowed him to get better. It allowed him to become a better speaker and to cut better promos and just be better on the mic. In Roman Reigns' case, it's like he was he was shielded, no pun intended, by Rollins and Ambrose, and then when you broke them up, you thought, oh, this guy can stand on his own two feet. Not yet. He is not there yet, and... That video, it, it, it kind of reinforced that. I know some of you guys may disagree, but I feel that the Ambrose and Rollins are substantially better than Roman Reigns when it comes to promo work. Plain, plain and simple. And that's not to say that Rollins is, you know, a five-star general when it comes to, to mic work, but he's definitely better. You can see it as he gradually improves. And not only that, but they're bringing it out of him by putting him in there with guys like Cena or guys like Ambrose, you know? 
That that's just how it is. Slick makes a valid point. Reigns would barely would barely talk during his tenure in the Shield, and that's true. I mean, he'd be like, "Believe," and that would be it. And I think part of that was just because they knew that Ambrose and Rollins, even Ambrose, I mean, even Rollins didn't talk as much because if you remember in the early early days of the Shield. Ambrose was the one cutting all the promos and then gradually Seth Rollins started to make himself more and more of a mouthpiece and you know Ambrose just would sit there twitching and being a fucking kook which is um you know which is the name of the game now Slick says in the chat I thought Ambrose was the leader I thought the same thing when they first started and then out of nowhere it just changed to to you know Seth Rollins being the architect and at that point, it was like, well, clearly that's who they want you to see as the, the leader of the shield. And it's fine. You know, that, that's, a, that's a good way to look at it. But using, using them as a crutch for Roman Reigns did, didn't do him any favors. Simple as that. All right. So the other segment that brought down this week's broadcast, El Torito taking on Mini Gator. As you know, uh, Los Matadores, the Matadors, are feuding with team Slater Gator, Heath Slater and Titus O'Neil and due to their feud uh the smaller guys got involved obviously the bull and the gator were put into a match now here's my issue my issue is that this match has been done now two weeks in a row that's issue number one issue number two you have an entire roster of guys some guys that are that are dying to get tv time and they're losing TV time to to the Bull and the Mini Gator. My issue isn't so much that you're doing these segments, but that you're doing them on such a big stage. Why why isn't a segment or a match like this relegated to main event or maybe something on SmackDown? But you're taking your flagship show, your main show, and you're tossing in midget humor. That's what you're doing. You're tossing in midget humor, the color commentary for that match was was god awful there was no way to even make you remotely interested in that match and the crowd once again let them know it was terrible completely terrible so after that match they figured all right maybe we're going to redeem ourselves with this so they redeemed themselves with lana coming out with rusev uh shitting on the big show running down america saying that you know who, you know the big show's a coward Who's going to come out here and, and say something? And all of a sudden, the Rock's music drops. That changed the entire dimension of the broadcast. The crowd went bananas. The announce team went crazy. And The Rock came out in typical Rock fashion. Now, it's easy to say at this point, The Rock is going to come out and it's going to be the same old shit. You know, and that's fine. But much like we were talking about in the MMA segment with Conor McGregor, The Rock moves the needle. The Rock is a needle mover. And at that moment, at that precise moment, the needle for the broadcast moved for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're putting him in there with a guy like Rusev, who Rusev is supposed to be this dominant force. He's supposed to be this this guy that you're grooming to take him to the next level. And here you have The Rock putting him over. I mean... And and the reason I say putting him over is because if you notice, The Rock didn't rock bottom him or give him the people's elbow or the spine buster. It was just a spit punch, knocked him out, and Rusev was still standing. And then, you know, Rusev didn't bother coming in. Now, the reasoning for that is twofold. Obviously, you don't want to make Rusev look weak 
but you wanted to also give the crowd something to be excited about. I think that entire incident, you know, that entire incident brought the broadcast from Shitsville into, you know, it brought it into passable territory. Now, a case can be made, and a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, The Rock is is using the same old shtick. And that's fine, but you got to remember, that shtick, that tired, that tired comedy that many of you complain about is the comedy that still gets people buzzing. That that incident with The Rock was talked about on Twitter for at least 45 minutes. My Facebook timeline was littered with fellow wrestling fans like, oh shit, The Rock is back. Or those people that I was talking to earlier in the day that were like, hey, I'm not going to go to the show at the Barkley because, you know, nothing crazy is going to happen. And then those same people an hour, two hours later texting me like, dude, what the fuck, man? I should have gone. I should have bought a $20 ticket. And that's what I mean. Like, like there was just an, it was an incredible moment. It's a moment that you cannot talk about in, in, excuse me. It's a moment you can't talk about without at least feeling gen- having a genuine smile on your face. Because as somebody who's been a wrestling fan from the golden age to the silver age to the attitude era to the modern age, now the PG era, you know for a fact that when guys like The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, hell, even Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, when those guys come out, the crowd everybody every aspect of it changes in in the case of a of a company you know in the case of a broadcast like this one you are seeing that the entire dynamic changed because after that match was over after that match after that segment was over you could see that everybody was on another level you could see that even the superstars had a level of of hype and excitement because right after that you followed the the rock segment with Paige, alicia fox aj and emma and while the match left a little bit to be desired the angle advancement and the energy from the crowd was still there it was still there and it was there there was no better example than sheamus and the miz in the in the instance of sheamus and the miz which which I talked about earlier, the crowd was so into it that they were chanting for Damian Sandow. Well, Damian Mizdow. The crowd was was super into Damian Mizdow. Uh, Mizdow actually had his Fandango moment at that time, and this was all because the Rock's presence, the the entire atmosphere changed, the energy changed, and as cliched as it sounds about you know the crowd being electrified. It was because you took a crowd that was kind of restless, a little bit of a, a little bit agitated. I mean, you know, they were chanting for Derek Jeter in some of the segments. They were they were chanting all these different things. And you can see that now the crowd was was live. The crowd was feeling it. And as a wrestling fan, and I've said this before, it's very easy for me to turn on a microphone, come on air and talk terribly about the product. It's very easy. And, and you know, it's funny because I had a, a lengthy discussion on Facebook about it. It's very easy to be the jaded fan. It's very easy to wish for the Attitude Era or the Monday Night Wars. It takes, it takes, a, different, it, it takes a, a different fan to sit down and try and find the better, po- the better points of the broadcast. I mean, when I started writing the three R's column... My main purpose for writing the column was because I wanted to feel 
you know, some passion for the product. It wasn't, I got, you know, it's very easy, like I said, for me to come on here and say, this sucked, that sucked, this was bullshit, that was bullshit. It takes, it takes more work, it takes more energy to find those right moments. And before The Rock came out, that's the trouble I was having. I was trying, I was trying, I was having issue finding redeeming moments. Yeah, I could say that the, uh, the Cesaro Ziggler, you know, six-man tag match was good, but it wasn't enough for me to say, wow, this episode blew everything else out of the water. And again, that, that segment didn't blow the entire broadcast out of the water, but what it succeeded in doing was making you genuinely want to keep watching. The Rock succeeded in doing that, and whether he's a part-timer, a full-timer, uh, wh- whether he shows up for one Monday Night Raw or 12 Monday Night Raws, the crowd still digs it. And until people stop cheering and exhibiting that same level of passion, The Rock is always going to have a place in this business. Same thing with Hulk Hogan. You could hate Hulk Hogan all you want. You can say that he's destroyed countless promotions, and I, and I, and I speak sh- terribly about Hogan all the time. But you cannot take away the fact that when Real American hits and that ketchup and mustard outfit comes on with the ketchup and mustard boa, you know for a fact that the crowd is super into it. They just are. When that glass breaks and Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out, it's the same feeling. And until, you know, the new generation of guys can bring about that same feeling... They, their bitching is going to fall on left ear, on, on a deaf ears. If a guy sits there and he goes, you know what, man, fuck the rock. He comes back. He takes away our TV time, whatever. I would be more pissed off as a wrestler losing TV time to, to mini Gator and Torito than losing TV time to the rock. Because guess what? The rock saying that he was going to be on, on Monday night raw, even, even at that exact moment when that tweet at, I forgot. I think it was two minutes before he went out, three minutes, and it said three, two, one, let's go. It was like when you saw that countdown and you were following on Twitter, you knew something was going to happen. And The Rock knew it. He knew how to do it. The guy knows how to market himself. He knows how to make himself relevant. He knows how to make people interested in the product. That's it. If you're a wrestler on the WWE roster that's pissed off that The Rock is there, The Rock is, is making people tune into the product, which leads to higher ratings, which leads to higher gates, which leads to more pay-per-view buys. I'm not saying that The Rock needs to come back and main event every pay-per-view, but people that complain about The Rock showing up and The Rock's involvement don't understand the energy that, that, that's in an arena when he's there. I talked to a couple of guys that were there in Brooklyn and they were like, yo, man, I was I was getting ready to pack it up just because it was it was it wasn't the worst show, but I just didn't feel entertained as much as I should. And I was like, what happened when The Rock came out? He's like, yo, everybody got hype. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was like, yo, did you see that? That shit was crazy. Yo, it was good to see him back, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mortis adds they should do more surprises like that when they don't advertise a return like that it makes a huge impact I agree a thousand percent and I commend them for keeping it so quiet and don't get me wrong a lot of websites were like yeah the rock is in New York City but those same websites that said the rock was in New York City they they ended up saying oh he's here to negotiate you know he's doing an event with Time Warner or he's showing up on Letterman whatever the case may be but nobody put nobody put it out there aggressively that he was going to be on Raw. On the contrary, it was just like, all right, you know, 
Maybe he'll show up, but I doubt it. You know, maybe he'll show up via satellite or something. But he was there, flesh and blood, and he effectively helped Rusev reach a brand new level. Because for a guy and his manager to be there and get shit on by The Rock, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it, and the best part was that it didn't make Rusev look weak. It just showed that, you know, you're the biggest kid in the yard. A bigger kid came in and punked you, but you didn't get your ass kicked yet. That's all I'm saying. All right, so the last match of the night was John Cena, who obviously said, uh, Dean Ambrose walked out on him earlier in the evening, facing Seth Rollins, Kane, and Randy Orton, which led to what I like to call Dean Ambrose's Stone Cold moment. And the reason I say this is because you guys remember Stone Cold Steve Austin at one point drove a Zamboni into the arena. At another point, he came in with the beer truck. Or Kurt Angle came in and he did the milk truck and he bathed everybody in milk. In Dean Ambrose's case, because he's a lunatic, he came back from Coney Island with a hot with a with a hot dog cart and proceeded to unleash hell on the authority. As much as I love this segment, there are a couple of small touches that could have made it better. When Dean Ambrose got on the train, he walked out of the arena and his hair was wet, right? As he's walking down the stairs to the train, his hair is mysteriously dry. Now, the reason that I saw this is because, you, you know, going taking film study in school and all this and all this stuff, you see continuity issues. And again, to, to anybody else, it's like, oh, it's Dean Ambrose getting on the train. Great. To me, I was like, oh, that's pretty funny, but that shit was filmed earlier. You know, the little touches, like, if Dean Ambrose would have came back with a t-shirt that said, I rode the cyclone at Coney Island, it would have been something subtle, something small, but it would have brought everything together full circle. I think you go, you pick up a t-shirt early in the day, he comes out with the hot dog card, it says, you know, I, I, I rode the cyclone at Coney Island, it just looks funnier, and of course, it adds a little bit more of that local flair. Obviously... You know, the Steve Austin moment using the hot dog cart and and everything associated with it was funny. Obviously, you know, Randy Orton being covered in mustard was amusing. Overall, it, it actually accomplished what they set out to accomplish, which was Dean Ambrose is a fucking lunatic, but he's not that crazy. He's crazy enough. And it was it was good. And of course, it set up a very interesting match with some interesting stipulations, which is um John Cena, Dean Ambrose facing off at the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view with the winner facing Seth Rollins in the cell. Now, there's there's a lot of great things in here and a lot of great ramifications. The only thing I can say is that if they want to do the right thing, they'll put Dean Ambrose over and 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 have Ambrose face Rollins in the cell because it's a story that you've built up so well and the chemistry that they have is so great. That if Cena were the one to face Rollins, you know that Cena is going to be the one that's put over. And in that case, I personally think that that's bad for Seth Rollins because you have a guy who's on the who's on the on the um, you know, he's on the he's on the edge, on the verge of being your next main eventer, and to have him out there getting sacrificed to John Cena for the sake of putting Cena over is just is just bad form. Ambrose and Rollins have legit beef. There's a legitimate story there, and on top of that, there's there's just tremendous chemistry. Plus, I know for a fact that those guys are going to give us a match that we will never forget. Simple as that. And it's going to add just something more to their feud. Overall, the Raw broadcast was good. Um, 
like I said, that thing with Kathy Lee and Hoda was terrible. Uh, Joan London coming out doing a, a very, very, um, you know, a very passionate uh, plea for people to donate and become involved for Coleman for the Cure was tremendous. Um, I think that's the right way to do things. I just feel that, you know, going going the route of making your involvement with Coleman for the Cure a gimmick is going to do more harm than good. Simple as that. Slick says Ambrose versus Rollins is 2014. Michaels and Janetti. I could I could see that. Um, I could see that. Except you know Marty Janetti wasn't as loved as Dean Ambrose, but I understand the parallels and I can definitely see that. All right, let me talk about the uh, the remaining news for the week. Um, TNA announced on their website that Gail Kim suffered a separated shoulder during her match with Havoc and is on the disabled list for the foreseeable future. Uh, Gail Kim is one of the few superstars, both on WWE and in TNA, who I've never heard sustaining an injury. She's had a very, very good track record of being injury-free. So uh, definitely a big blow to TNA because they have uh, so many great knockouts there. But Gail Kim just brought something more to the division. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how long she's out. But uh, definitely there's going to be a vacuum Hopefully, uh, Velvet Sky, Angelina Love, uh, Taryn Terrell can fill that void because I don't know what they're doing with Santana Garrett, a.k.a. Brittany. Um, they were using her effectively, and then they kind of dropped the ball. So we'll see what happens in Gail Kim's absence. It seems Rey Mysterio is in hot water once again for showing up backstage at the Lucha Underground TV taping. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Lucha Underground is a promotion that is being... Um, run on the L Ray network and um you know obviously between AAA and now Lucha Libre or Lucha Underground and Rey Mysterio being shown at both it's it's something that's definitely going to ruffle a lot of feathers with WWE management and the thing that bothers me is that Rey Mysterio obviously has to serve out his contract but the fact that he's going and showing up in all these promotions clearly shows that Rey Mysterio doesn't want to be there so it's like, do you want to continue uh, with these stories leaking out that you guys are unhappy with Rey Mysterio, or do you just want to let him retire or or cut him loose? It depends. You know, there's a couple of ways you can you can go about it. You can allow Rey Mysterio to wrestle his match, go in the Hall of Fame, and be done with it, or you can release him from his contract and let him go on his way. Which is, it's weird because either way you slice it, Rey Mysterio. He's not gonna. He's not gonna accomplish anything else in the W in the WWE at this point, and you're probably better served allowing him to either leave or to uh, you know induct him into the Hall of Fame because I think in terms of WWE product and in terms of what he has to offer, Rey Mysterio honestly at this point he's not gonna accomplish much remaining on the active WWE roster. So. A uh, very interesting tweet I saw from the Sasuke twins who are directing See No Evil 2. They actually expressed interest in doing a Wyatt family film. Now, the funny thing about this is that the Sasuke twins did a good job from what I've been hearing with See No Evil 2. Once it comes out, I'll be uh, sharing a review on Rageworks. But it's interesting that, they're, that they'd want to do a film based on the Wyatt family because I honestly think that if you did a horror film with the Wyatt family, you could have something very, very unique 
and something very, very interesting. I mean, they've expressed interest. A lot of people were tweeting and retweeting their comments. I, I read it and I said, you know what? If they did a horror movie based on the Wyatt family, I'd be I'd be intrigued to watch it. I definitely would give it a watch to see uh, what kind of a story they give them. And again, it would be for film and it would be a great tie-in to their origins on, on the regular WWE product. But the way I see it right now is that all signs are pointing to them separating Harper and Rowan from Bray Wyatt and either branching them out into singles careers or probably just either having Rowan be, you know, repackaging Rowan and having Harper just be um, a singles competitor. But an interesting rumor came out of that, and that was that uh, Harper and Rowan are going to be freed and that Bray Wyatt is going to be aligned with the Ascension, which is very, very interesting. Um, aligning the Ascension with Bray Wyatt, I can see where they would want to do that. Obviously, Bray Wyatt would serve as the mouthpiece, but I do feel that unless you plan on changing the Ascension, you're it's gonna it's gonna be a clash of gimmicks because you kind of have these metalhead, uh, just badass dudes, and then you have Bray Wyatt, you know, the Eater of Worlds, a guy who's who's an enigma in in and of itself, and to kind of saddle him with with those guys for the extent for the for the necessity of getting them over, I, you're better suited, and I've said this before, putting the Ascension with Kane, maybe separating the Wyatts, and then, um, you know, allowing allowing Bray Wyatt to, to perform as a singles competitor. Uh, Mortis says the Ascension would fit better in the Ministry of Darkness. It's true. I mean, if anything, I would put the Ascension with Kane. I think Kane, like, and I said this before, it's a good way to start phasing him out as an in-ring competitor and start making him something else. You know, Kane would make a good GM and I'd, I'd love to see him manage a, a team like the Ascension and kind of play a player coach role versus him playing the role of a lackey. That's all I'm saying. So this next bit of news, you can consider this a spoiler. And um, if you don't want it to be spoiled, you can fast forward. Uh, but on the SmackDown on Tuesday night's SmackDown taping, it was announced that the 2015 Royal Rumble will be getting an upgrade. This will be the second time that the WWE Royal Rumble will feature 40 competitors instead of the usual 30. If you remember, the last time that that was done was in 2011 when Alberto Del Rio won the the largest uh, Royal Rumble event. Now, we're going into it once again with 40 competitors, which is interesting because it opens up a lot of different possibilities. Obviously, you can involve guys from NXT. You can have a lot of fun with, with you know, one-night comebacks. It's, it's going to be very interesting going the 40-man format, but I think it would be a, a good way to get NXT guys involved, kind of introduce them to the larger crowds, and the Royal Rumble is a great event to showcase that. Simple as that. I'm actually pumped to see that. Um, if you're interested in attending the 2015 Royal Rumble, it goes down January 24th in Philadelphia, and I believe tickets will be going on sale this Friday. So there you have it. Another thing that was announced was, well, actually was shown on SmackDown, and you can fast forward this as well, was a very, very interesting backstage segment between The Rock and Triple H, which kind of sowed the seeds of a possible match between them in the near future. I think that the segment from what I've read is going to come off very well on TV. I heard it was incredibly amusing and they had great chemistry. 
I don't know how I feel about seeing The Rock and Triple H square off one last time, but, you know, what do you guys think? I think that The Rock and Brock Lesnar just would be a more a more intriguing match, a more physical match versus a match between Triple H and The Rock. I mean, I, I, I'm starting to really not view Triple H as a as an active competitor anymore. Now I'm just viewing him as a suit. So it just feels very, very weird. I think that if you do want to do something with The Rock, it's better serve. Uh, it's better served doing something with him and Brock Lesnar, two part timers that could generate a buzz, and it just looks better versus a match between The Rock and Triple H. I mean, I'm sure that the, that the history between the two of them would yield uh, some good storytelling and some good matches, but I just feel that The Rock and Brock Lesnar is just a better is just a better fit for something like WrestleMania. There you have it. Um, Obviously, if you guys want to discuss it further, I will pose the question on our Facebook fan page, RageWorks, um, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks, and we'll discuss that there. Now, we want to close things out with the guests for next week's Raw. Uh, well, correction, the guest hosts for Raw next week. Uh, one of them is going to be Nene or Nene Leaks from the Real Housewives of Atlanta, also, we're going to be getting an appearance by Todd Chrisley from USA's Chrisley Knows Best. Now, the funny thing is Todd Chrisley is a funny dude. Um, his show is unique, to say the least. But once again, we're getting into these guest hosts. And as much as you want to try and do it for mainstream appeal, again, using the wrong guest host is just going to piss off your audience. And I already see that uh, Nene Leaks from Real Housewives of Atlanta will probably get shit on. Todd Chrisley, it depends because Todd Chrisley, he doesn't really take himself too seriously and he seems to be a guy that likes to have a few laughs and have a good time. So he might be involved in something funny, which is an easy way to kind of get him in and out. But I'm sure that they're going to use Nene Leaks in something that nobody's going to give a fuck about. Simple as that. But that all goes down next Monday. All right. With that said, uh, that's actually going to wrap up this week's show. Um, a couple of things before we wrap things up. Uh, it is now uh, 1.10 in the morning on Thursday, October 9th. Uh, My Take Radio will be live this Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific for our gaming and entertainment edition. Uh, I want to thank Ben, of course, for calling in. And, of course, all of you guys for tuning in as well. You can follow My Take Radio on Twitter at My Take Radio. You can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash My Take Radio. Add us to your boards on Pinterest, and also you can find us on Google Plus as well. But if you want to keep up with all the other stuff besides the show, you're going to want to follow RageWorks. It's uh, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. And on Twitter, it's Rage underscore Works for all the MMA, wrestling, gaming, and entertainment content that's where you're going to want to go for all the show stuff as always mytakeradio.com is your source we got some great announcements on deck for thursday's show so definitely make sure to tune in on behalf of myself ben slick andrea josh the buried boys and the rest of the mtr team i will catch you guys later thank you guys for tuning in i am out of here Everything, everything, that's all, folks.